A worldwide study has just been published in the New England Journal of Medicine that found a positive effect of using psilocybin mushrooms, also known as magic mushrooms, uh, for people who uh, use mushrooms recreationally. And uh, the treatment that was studied was looking at the use of psilocybin with pe people who had sort of a treatment-resistant depression. And I, I, I think that might be a bit common. I certainly had that problem where medication after medication would work, but in the long term, it did not work. And so people were struggling over, over many, many years. And Dr. Ishrat Hussain from the Center for Addiction and Mental Health took part in the original study. And he has now received the first Government of Canada grant to continue studying this in Canada. Morning. Uh, hi, Dr. Hussain. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So there's a little bit to break down about this beyond the medical findings, because there's also a, a public response, which is a little bit different uh, when we talk about psychedelics as opposed to um, something like uh, uh, pot, marijuana. So if you could just tell me first what happened in the study that was reported in the Journal of Medicine? When did it start and, and how did it... Um, how was it done? Because I know it was worldwide. Yeah, so this was the largest uh, clinical trial of psilocybin, which is the chemical component of magic mushrooms. Um, and it investigated the potential safety uh, and antidepressant effects of psilocybin combined with psychological support in patients with treatment-resistant depression. So that was depression that didn't respond to at least two currently available treatments. Um, we at CAMH were the Canadian site for this uh, international study, which involved centers in Europe um, and North America as well. And uh, overall, uh, the team were able to recruit and, and treat over 200 patients with treatment-resistant depression. Um, and the study showed that one single dose uh, of psilocybin uh, combined with psychological support, uh, led to uh, significant improvements in depression uh, symptoms in these, uh, you know, chronic and and refractory uh, patients. The study was interesting because it compared three different doses of psilocybin. So, um, one which is considered the psychedelic dose, which is the twenty five milligram dose, would give a psychedelic trip to almost 100% of individuals that took it. But then we also assessed lower doses, um, like 10 milligrams, which would, you know, not necessarily give everybody a psychedelic experience. Um, and perhaps if it did, it would give a milder psychedelic experience. And then we also tested the one milligram dose, which is essentially a micro dose of, of psilocybin, uh, which is comparable to, to a placebo, really, it doesn't really have much in way of psychoactive effects. And the study results showed that it was that psychedelic dose, the higher dose of psilocybin, which uh, led to significantly greater improvements to, in depression than, than lower doses. Um, the lower doses still also led to some improvements, but it was the one that actually gave everybody a psychedelic experience that, that showed the most pronounced antidepressant effects. If you uh, take a, a comparison, of 10 milligrams, which was, uh, I think you said was the highest dose 
of psilocybin. How does that compare to what someone might purchase if they were going to use it recreationally at a, at a party, for example? So the 25 milligrams dose, which was the higher dose, and that is equivalent to almost 2.5 grams of a dried mushroom. Um, you know, I think that most people who are recreational users really, first of all, they don't know what oftentimes where what they're taking, what the 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 sort of chemical components of it are. It's not as reliable as as the drugs that we use in our clinical trials because we use we don't use dried mushrooms. We use um, synthetic um, chemical components of the mushroom, so the synthetic psilocybin itself that's manufactured according to you know very high regulatory standards. But roughly, it would equate so the higher dose would equate to around two and a half grams of a dried mushroom. Um, and recreational users, if they want to have the full psychedelic trip, usually take between two to five grams. I mean, five grams is a pretty high dose, but um, but yeah, that that's the usual uh, range. Two questions come out of that. One is um, you use the word trip. And I think that uh, in in the sort of, you know, out there public, there is a big difference in thinking between you're getting high, which you would from spoke, smoking marijuana to you're tripping, which is when we start to get into this more um, uh, like the Timothy Leary from the 60s LSD experiments where I think it was... Um, uh, what was the phrase that he coined to turn on, tune in and drop out. And, uh, and I think psychedelics for many people still goes back to that idea that you are tripping. Yeah. I mean, look, the, these are very potent psychoactive substances. Um, you know, they have quite powerful effects in terms of changes to your perception um, it can lead to visual and audio uh, disturbances. Um, of course, there's also positive effects like the euphoria that comes with that, the feeling of connectedness. But there are also, you know, sometimes distressing experiences, some, you know, often termed as the bad trip, where people can sometimes feel, uh, you know, agitated, paranoid, anxious, distressed, tearful. Um, and that's why in these studies, they're in very controlled settings. They're in highly selected groups of individuals. And they're the, the people that we're delivering this uh, experimental treatment to are very carefully monitored. So there's two trained therapists that are present with them throughout that dosing experience, uh, because we know that they have powerful uh, psychoactive experiences. And, the, and that's sort of the colloquial term of the trip really is used to characterize that powerful uh, psychoactive experience. Uh, every result was positive. I think that you had some patients or some, um, where it isn't patient, it's a uh, subject, I guess, of the, of the study, uh, experienced suicidal ideation. Um, and like you said, some, some paranoia, and so it, it wasn't that everybody, you know, took some psilocybin and then it was this, you know, a panacea fact that, you know, it was all good. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I, I don't even think, you know, everybody got better. So, um, 
if you look at the response rates or the number of people that did have an improvement, it was about between 35 to 40% of people in the 25 milligram arm uh, showed an improvement. So that's not, that's not everybody. Um, and even uh, the improvement itself, uh, although it was significant and, and definitely something to worth take notice of, it wasn't um, as transformational as one would expect. Um, also, you made an important point that there were some serious uh, uh, adverse events. So um, about seven people, I think it was six to seven people in the 25 milligram arm experienced suicidal ideation. Uh, there was also suicidal ideation in, in the other arms of the study in the lower doses, but they were numerically higher uh, in the higher dose arm. Now, we don't know what the reason for that is. Um, it could be that perhaps it was in the groups of people that didn't get better with the treatment. You know, a lot of people go into these studies thinking that, you know, psilocybin or other psychedelics are going to transform. It's actually going to help cure their depression in a way. And perhaps the disappointment that it didn't lead to the improvement that they hoped for led to that suicidal ideation. Um, and what it tells me is that actually we just, we still need to do more work to understand um, whether this is actually effective and safe and who the best candidate for this type of treatment would be if it is proved to be effective. Well, it would be so great if you could just do a brain scan and then it said, oh, this, uh, this type of medication is going to work for this person. Maybe we'll get there someday. I don't know, but uh, and I don't even know if we're close, but that's a whole different conversation to have. It is, I can see that happening with some people because when you get to the, the situation where you've tried one or two medications, and in my case, it worked for a while and it was okay, found one, and then it would stop. You get to a point where you just, you're sort of done, right? And I could see going into a new study that's had very positive results and thinking, okay, this is going to, this is going to be good for me. Now, people who, um, where it was successful, what comes next for them? And I think some people might be worried that this would lead to use of psilocybin once the, once the study is finished and, and the, the, the medication or the psilocybin has not been approved yet for use by Health Canada will they then go out and start to buy off the street? I really hope they don't. And that's something that I would recommend to, to anybody even listening to this. Don't try and self-medicate with any sort of um, recreational drug that's available on the black market or the gray market, as they call it. It's still illegal, so it's the black market. Um, because you don't know what you're accessing. You don't know uh, like a, the dosing. We, as I said, very carefully select the the drugs that we're using carefully control the setting and provide monitoring and support and um for the people that did improve in the study um we uh, several of them are going through longer term follow up to ensure that you know they're staying well and uh, they're receiving you know ongoing care uh if they aren't so we ha we had some some uh patients at the CAMH site who unfortunately didn't achieve the response that they hoped for. So they then had sort of standard psychiatric care uh, through the hospital. Um, the, 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 the important point is that we don't know the longer term um, 
safety and effectiveness of this. Um, and that's work that still needs to be done, right? Um, so this study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine is following people up for uh, 12 months after the treatment. So the findings of that data uh, or, or or that analysis will be very helpful to to let us know whether this is like a you know a one shot and you're done for 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 a year or if it's something that needs to have uh, repeated dosing. It's a very important question you ask because you know is it is it just a one dose one treatment uh, type of approach or do we need uh, more than that? One one dose uh, would be so amazing. It, it it sort of boggles my mind. I can't, I can't get wrap my mind around um, being able to go in and, and have that happen. But medical and psychiatric medicine, uh, it just changes all the time. And our brain function changes all the time. And not everybody who's experiencing depression has the same chemistry happening in their brain that's causing that depression. So is there some, um, I think, I, I think it all involves serotonin, I'm not sure, but is there, is there, are you seeing some way that a person who has been, you know, more responsive over time to something that inhibits serotonin, as opposed to someone who is not responding, is that part of the decision that you use when you're doing a profile of who would be a good candidate for this study. So yeah, I mean, we we definitely consider an individual's history, their illness, their current symptoms when we're trying to uh, assess their eligibility for the study. You you make a really important point again that depression isn't the same for every person who experiences it. It's a highly heterogeneous condition, and it's not necessarily purely biological in terms of a chemical imbalance uh, in the brain that's causing it, right? Like it can be due to psychological factors, social factors, yes, biological factors as well that combine together. And, um, at this point, we don't even know whether, you know, psilocybin is, is a purely biological treatment that's, you know, treating that perhaps serotonin imbalance, but is it a combination of approaches? Because you have to remember that a lot of people are getting a lot of therapy through this. They get, a lot of preparation, uh, they get the eight hours of support during the treatment. And then, then after the treatment as well, they get one to two sessions with the therapist to talk about what they've been through. So it's it's a complex uh, treatment in the sense that you just you have the medicine and then you have the therapy and it's combined together uh, in a very short period. Um, and perhaps it's that combination that is addressing uh, the depression so you know potently. So we don't know that yet. Um, back to your question about wh what we consider when we are recruiting people, we do have very strict uh, eligibility criteria for this. So if you have depression, but you have lots of other uh, psychiatric illnesses or addictions and so on, unfortunately, you know, we aren't able to test this approach uh, in these populations yet. Um, because we need to first uh, uh, establish its safety in people that have more uh you know, standard major depression. We are extending that work, by the way, to other populations. So we are going to be looking uh, at the the benefits of uh, psilocybin and the safety of psilocybin in patients with depression and an addiction comorbidity, because we know that's quite uh, common. We're also looking at other clinical populations. So we're going to look at the 
potential safety and effectiveness of psilocybin in patients with treatment-resistant obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and uh, treatment-resistant bipolar depression. Uh, so that those are all studies that are uh, are in the pipeline. Yeah, I'm interested in the um, in the bipolar because I know from personal experience, and and you know, medicine has shown that antidepressants, if you are bipolar, can cause you to flip from a depressed state into a manic state, which is has to be treated with a different type of approach. Um, medically and and from therapy, is that something you would be concerned about with psilocybin, or is that something you're thinking? You know what, it may not have that effect, which makes it a much better choice for medication for someone who has bipolar depression. Bipolar depression is very challenging to treat for the, for that very reason that you you said. First of all, there's very few treatments that um, are approved for bipolar depression. The FDA in the United States has only four approved treatments, and those are limited by their effectiveness and side effects. Uh, unfortunately, because of those limited options, people do end up prescribing antidepressants and taking antidepressants, which isn't, which aren't always effective. And then, yes, the safety issue about flipping to mania. We are concerned theoretically about the switch to mania with with something as potent as psilocybin, which is why we're actually uh, our first study is a it's a feasibility and safety study. It's an assessment of, of whether this would actually be safe. And we're our main outcome is to see whether people with uh, bipolar disorder do switch to uh, a hypomanic or manic illness. Again, because science is incremental, we're starting our study in patients with bipolar type 2, which uh, are a group of uh, individuals who don't have a history of switching to full mania. Uh, uh, so so that's that's how we're starting the work in this, in this clinical population. Well, that certainly makes sense because uh, even if you do sort of go into a more manic phase, you are not in you. I don't know because I, I mean, I'm not like really well versed in bipolar two as a, as a person with bipolar one, I know how difficult it can be to stabilize someone once they go into that more uh, manic state. And I have, uh, I've been using cognitive behavioral therapy for, for years, and that's actually what started me um, in, in 1995 when it was very new. And again, I think people need to always think about this. Psychiatry moves, not maybe at the rapid pace as we would like to see it move, but in 1995, nobody believed that um, uh, CBT could help someone with mania because they just believed it was chemical like you know, we can't do anything about it. And of course, the thinking on that has changed radically. How does a person uh, get involved or apply, I guess, to be part of your study? So we are uh, asking for anybody interested to seek out a referral to CAMH first, uh, so that they can be registered with us as, as patients and we can do that assessment. Um, so, you know, please speak to your healthcare provider, uh, seek out a referral to CAMH. Uh, it's important that people are registered as patients because, you know, if we need to provide any psychiatric care during or after uh, the study, they, ne they need to be registered at CAMH. So the first uh, the first uh, uh, sort of port of call would be to, to speak to your healthcare provider about our studies, um, 
looking at psilocybin uh, for the treatment of their health condition, and they can discuss it with the healthcare provider, get a referral to CAMH, and we'd be happy to to assess them for their eligibility. When you say healthcare provider, can that be um, a family physician? Uh, family you don't physician. need to. Okay. Yeah, family physician or nurse practitioner. Okay. So that's really important to know too, because um, finding a psychiatrist is so challenging no okay. matter where you live. And, uh, and the wait list can just be uh, so long. Now, how many people will be participating in the study and how long do you think it will be before you'll be able to have not a full on concrete results, but start to see and get a sense of whether, uh, whether it's effective? So, yeah, we have numerous studies, as I mentioned, underway. Uh, the study I think you're referring to is the CIHR funded uh, study and looking to understand whether uh, the psychedelic trip is essential for uh, the antidepressant effects. And that's a study in patients with treatment-resistant depression. We're recruiting 60 uh, participants, and we hope uh, that the study will be uh, complete within 18 months um, and that we can share uh, results soon after that. Um, but, you know, these studies are very complex to get going off the ground. Uh, getting the funding is one aspect, but then you have to get all of the regulatory approvals to use a controlled substance. Uh, uh, and that that uh, has has um, obviously created some barriers for us to, to overcome. But, you know, we're, we've started now and uh, uh, look forward to, to sharing the results uh, as soon as we've completed. So because you've had um, received funding doesn't mean that Health Canada is okay. Is that one of the places you need to go for regulatory approval? Yeah, there's, there's multiple levels of regulatory approval. Uh, once we've got the funding to do the work, we need to get approved by our institution and then uh, uh, by Health Canada. And then we need to apply for exemptions to be able to use that controlled substance uh, at our healthcare facility. So there's a few uh, loops to jump through. <laughs> Oops. And they're and and not easy. So that the eighteen months might be, um, you might not make quite make that, that yeah, deadline. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just so super interesting. Uh, again, you know, in my in my growing up, psychedelics were like whoa. You know, if you moved into psychedelics, you know, you've gone way beyond a party drug in in a way what people would consider, and they weren't easy to find either. Before I before I talked to you, when I started thinking about this, I actually went online to see if I could buy mushrooms. And I can buy mushrooms. I, there's a couple of dispensaries where I am, but um, I can buy them online. And I don't know. I guess that I guess that slips under the the the, the legality of it in the in the way that you used to you used to buy pot online, and then it was you know, obviously it was legalized and we have, we have marijuana stores now. So I was interested to see that. And I'm going to guess we're a few, you know, years away, maybe from having the sale of mushrooms. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's a totally different ball game when you're talking about those two things. Yeah. My, my worry is that by increasing access to something, which I know has very, you know, potent, psychological and psychoactive effects it it does doesn't come without its its risks um you know i see i work in the camh emergency department i see young people uh with symptoms of psychosis after using psychedelics 
So, um, you know, it's these aren't sort of safe for everybody. Um, and that's just something for people to be aware of. And Dr. Hussein, thanks for coming on and talking about this. Thank you very much.